Hello and welcome to the weekly Investor Insights call. Throughout this call, all participants will be in listen-only mode. And just to remind you, this conference call is being recorded. Today, I am pleased to present Charles Perdue and Johanna Kirkland. Please begin your meeting. Thank you, operator, and welcome, everybody. Thanks very much for uh, listening in and for those of you who are listening to our replay of our podcast. Again, thanks very much for, uh, for doing that. So um, today... Uh, timing is great. Uh, we have Johanna here again. Johanna, welcome uh, on the back of your uh, GAC meetings, the strategy meetings that you have on a routine basis with the multi-asset group. And so a great opportunity for us to hear about the holistic overview um, that your team is bringing to the world uh, and then in practice uh, what you're doing. Um, just regular background in terms of events to draw out over the last week or so. Um, so first of all, and this was obviously something we touched on a bit when we had Alex Teller on the call last week, um, but uh, Jay Powell uh, once again confirmed uh, in his uh, Washington uh, speech um, that, quote, uh, we are, as in the Fed, are in a place where we can be patient and flexible and wait and see what does evolve. And I think for the meantime, we are waiting and watching. Um, so that's clear um, and also gives a clear sense that um, they're not Edo fixed um, in terms of the dot plot and will be uh, data driven. So that continued to reassure the market. Um, and I remind you that Keith put out his, his view uh, that the Fed will pause in March. Um, and at this stage, we are anticipating uh, one more 25 basis point uh, increase in June and that that will be it. And we'll come back to that theme and the implications of that um, in a moment with Johanna. In terms of the Eurozone, um, I'm afraid the kind of headline data continues to, to soften industrial activity in the Eurozone's biggest economies all showed deterioration for the latest measured month, which was uh, November, um, which doesn't bode well for measured uh, Q4 GDP growth. And then out in Asia, I think worth highlighting that the Chinese government announced that it will reduce the tax burden for small and micro-sized companies um, over the next three years. Again, another a particular stimulus measure because of the uh, loss of momentum and anecdotes starting to increase um, about kind of dormant uh, shipping uh, related to Chinese exports. Um, just touching on trade, therefore, please remember that in the background, US-China trade talks continue. Um, they haven't yet been making that much progress, I think it's fair to say, even though whether of our tweet, if you're President Trump, or otherwise, everyone's trying to send encouraging positive signals. But there is little that's substantive yet, uh, and we are up against the imposed, the Trump-imposed deadline of March uh, the 1st. Uh, and later on this month, I think you'll start to see noise increase around that as the talks turn away from agriculture and energy, which is where they have been, and more towards manufacturing, and then what is euphemistically referred to as trade practices. Uh, in practice, that touches on the very contentious theme of uh, technology theft. Uh, and of course, there are occasional news stories uh, relating to that and everyone being circumspect about Huawei, uh, for example. A um, couple of things from a publication point of view, just to highlight, um, given that comment about trade, we have a snapshot that's just gone out how trade wars have affected emerging market returns. Um, so call that out. And again, that's a theme we're going to come back to with Johanna in a moment. And then I speak to you on Tuesday. Tonight, of course, sees the meaningful vote in the UK Parliament uh, on Prime Minister May's proposed um, exit uh, deal with the EU. Um, and the vote will take place 
sort of um, uh, late evening this evening, depending on how many amendments get tabled. And we uh, will therefore be writing a snapshot reaction to that as Admiral Penn that uh, first thing tomorrow. So please uh, look out for that. So with that as an overall, um, clearly last week, Johanna, we had a little bit of a bounce uh, in equity markets on the back of the torrid December. Um, so that's made everyone feel a little bit better. You had your strategy meetings. Let me lead off by when we were talking last year, you talked a lot about the power of the number three. Uh, and you framed much of what you were doing around three in terms of growth and um, the U.S. Treasury and so on. So here we are in 2019. How do you see things holistically? Well, I guess, I mean, over the fourth quarter, we ended up um, moving to a more defensive stance in our strategies because we generally reduced equities and bought bonds and gold. Um, and as we came into the new year, you know, it's tempting having seen significant market falls to say, well, actually, should we be now adding back to risk? The conclusion of our meetings last week, though, was that, unfortunately, um, although valuations are starting to look interesting for equities and credit... Something we talked about with Alex last week. Yeah, they are looking attractive. Um, our momentum indicators, be it economic indicators, earnings indicators, or price momentum indicators, are all still falling. And so, against that backdrop, is um, we think it's too early to, to aggressively add back to risk. And coming to your point about three, you know, yeah, last year I was saying as long as GDP growth, global GDP is around 3% and the U.S. 10-year yield is about 3%, we're okay. Well, I think the challenge based on our indicators is that global GDP growth is likely to slip below 3% in 2020. Um, and yes, yields are lower, so pleasingly at least we don't have an inflation problem at the same time. The Fed has stepped back. The U.S. 10-year yield helps valuations in the sense that it's rallied, but it also indicates that growth is softening. Yeah, and with underlying implications. So um, Keith put out his uh, U.S. earnings forecasts, um, which if you include buybacks, um, I think his number is uh, 5 to 6% for this year, 2019, uh, compared with a consensus of 8. Um, and next year, he's actually looking for earnings to be negative, I think, down 4. So that highlights what you were just saying of the valuations may be seductive or more seductive at the moment than in the recent past, but beware what lies beneath. Yes, because ultimately, if global GDP growth is slipping below 3%, we start to head towards the problem of stall speed. You know, the risk is that any gust of wind could topple you over. Right. Um, and that uncertainty, both on economic growth and earnings, has to be calibrated in market valuations. And I think we, we probably need a bit more news on the earnings front before the market can, can really start to feel comfortable again. And, of course, the U.S. earnings season literally has just started, yeah. so we're going to know um, that mood music pretty quickly. With that said, um, market sentiment, I mean, certainly for everyone listening on the call will know what our client sentiment has been over the last six months, which has really been very poor. Um, and I've seen one or two surveys talking about the amount of cash that has been raised on the sidelines. Does that give you and the team any cause for reduction in terms of a kind of contrarian sentiment indicator, at least. So we have taken a few contrarian positions over the last two months, um, because you're right. I mean, we, we there has been quite a significant correction in markets, and we do need to remain focused on trying to find ways of making money. So um, one move we made in late November, early December, was start to buy um, high-yielding emerging market currencies against the euro predominantly and and other major currencies, but that's the predominant position. So basically, that's a high carry basket, mm -hmm. typically yielding, you know, 7, 8, 9%. So quite attractive in a world where even growth is weak. It doesn't require a big cyclical recovery for that strategy to deliver quite an attractive yield for us. 
Um, and then more recently, with the further market correction in December, we have added a little bit of high yield debt because, again, a yield around 7% looks attractive in this environment. Um, a very small move, though. And then the other thing we did was we added two U.S. small caps out of large caps. Oh, and That's then, quite I, interesting, that one. Can I just pick up yeah. on that one? I mean, always, we'll come back to yields in a moment. But going, I mean, and so is that was that a relative valuation call? The idea that maybe, and I used a bad analogy with Alex last week, so I'll use it again, apologies for that, which is we it's the end of a party, um, but the slow song isn't being played yet, but the DJ's warning that you've got, you know, one or two songs and then the party is going to be over. Are you, yeah, are you playing sort of small caps? view that basically... Um, actually, I think outside the U.S., the data is concerning to me. You know, it's weak in Europe. So I should also mention, we, in December, we also bought emerging equities out of European equities. Right. So generally, I think that the tone of the data in Europe is very concerning to me. Emerging markets are also seeing weaker growth, but actually there we've seen a significant correction. But on, I think... On, you, on Germany, can I just sort of pick you up on that? The excuse that I hear a lot on Germany is, oh, it's just about the car sector. And with the car sector, it's just because they've got themselves in a model over diesel. Yeah, Do you no. see it as being much broader well, than that? Well, when you break down the data, and Azad has done work on this, actually, it seems to be quite pervasive weakness across the industrial sector. So it doesn't and seem how to be much is China to blame for that? It's all interconnected, but I think it brings you back to the challenge for Europe that it is still a play on global growth. The domestic growth in Europe, from a market perspective, isn't strong enough to drive the market. Right. So it's basically a high beta play on global growth. And if it's a high beta play on emerging markets, I'd rather own emerging market risk, which is cheaper at this point in time. Because it's got more punished. Yeah. It's been more punished. It, you know, it was the eye of the storm in Q2 and Q3 last year. And at the margin, to the extent the U.S. growth weakens, um, emerging markets benefit from a stabilization in the dollar. Um, so that's why we, we added. So basically, to summarize, November, December, we added back to emerging market risk, basically emerging equities and emerging market currencies out of European equities and European currencies. And then at the beginning of this year, having seen a further correction in the US, add a little bit back to small caps versus large caps and high yield debt. But these are very small incremental moves. And as I said, overall, we're still sounding at a and the, Euro and the small cap piece, the US small cap piece, just to sort of torch that for one more moment, is to extend, you know, just to sort of eke out a little bit more of a yeah. return. Because yes. Because Keith's not calling for a recession. Yeah, and, yes, and to get back to your point, yes. Yeah, so while the data outside the states it's still weak and weakening further. One could argue that actually a bit of quite a lot of pessimism is now starting to be priced into U.S. growth. If there's one area of the world where we could still see some upside surprise to growth, I think it would be the U.S. still. Right. Yes. Um, and again, the earnings season will be key in, in that yeah. regard. Um, and going back to the yield point more broadly, um, where else, if you like, what were... Um, uh, some of the elements that uh, were rejected in your GAC area, were there any more sort of more pro-risk putting on areas that actually you decided on reflection not to do at this point? Um, no, there wasn't. I mean, um, so in terms of adding risk, no, that, that there wasn't any other um, suggestions. I guess the other side of the equation was there was a discussion about whether we should be cutting our duration because we added a lot of duration in Q4. And the conclusion was that bonds are still helpful in the portfolio. So obviously they've rallied a lot since we bought them. But actually, again, given that the main risk to the market now is weaker growth, we actually think it's helpful to still have the bonds in the portfolio. And that, that would have been a more aggressive pro-risk move if not only we'd made these small additions on emerging markets and small caps, but also basically sold bonds. Yes. We didn't. But we still think bonds have a role in the portfolio, and we don't think 
actually given the concerns about growth that, that they're that expensive yet. Right. Um, and are you maintaining a position in the yen with that same... Exactly. So Japanese yen has been a position, again, that we, we established last year, which has helped us. Um, and we continue to like the yen um, because it is a good hedge against global growth deterioration. So maybe, um, w would you mind just rehearsing, therefore, the core scenario um, that you anchored around in the GAC that much of what you've just been kindly illustrating, uh, therefore, plays out against? Well, basically, we expect growth to slow. To some extent, that's been reflected in market valuations. The question is, do we get a recession? Um, in 2020, that's the biggest risk. I think with the Fed stepping back a bit and signaling they're willing to be flexible, actually, maybe maybe all we get is a slowdown. But I think there is we can't ignore the risk of recession in 2020. So overall, that leads us to a more defensive stance. Um, it does mean that, for example, on a 12-month view, Bonds are still attractive. So tactically, yes, maybe they'll sell off a bit. Yeah. But basically, on the 12-month view, you should be earning bonds. Um, in terms of equities, we can get tactical rallies. We can get opportunities on a relative value basis, for example, on the emerging market side. But again, with that prospect of a slowdown and risk of recession, we need the market to cheapen up further or signs of stabilization in earnings to get more positive on equities. So anything your bias would be were we to get... Um, a kind of last hurrah or some yeah. enthusiastic late party dancing, you'd be inclined to possibly reduce exposure. Sell into rallies, yes. That's more eloquently put than I put. Yes. I'll stop with the songs. By and, unless, unless there is, unless there is, you know, as I said, the stabilisation. We have three sets of momentum statistics: the economic statistics, the earnings, and the price momentum statistics. They're all falling right now. Any sign of stabilisation on one of those three would prompt us to review. Can you expand on price momentum? Yeah. Well, I think price momentum is kind of a, I mean, we prefer to focus on fundamentals. Um, often, I'd imagine price momentum would be the last to turn. Right. Um, but it's interesting that at the moment, they're all, I use that more as a cross-check. I focus more on earnings and, and equity and, and economics. But my point is, at the moment, they're all corroborating each other. Yes, and it's hard to argue against those signals. If they're all corroborating each other, that tells you you can't add too much risk. You need to be a bit careful. I mean, it ties it, it ties in very much with what Alex was saying, where um, his line last week was essentially, yes, markets have fallen, yes, valuations look therefore more interesting, uh, and gives him a little bit more conviction around being able to find quality at an even better price, yeah. if you see what I mean. Um, uh, alongside his long-term structural themes such as technology. Um, but he wasn't um, sort of singing Dixie. No, and actually we're planning on allocating to Alex said a strategy because, yes, in a world where growth is scarce, we think quality can, can perform well. Um, so, yeah, overall, I, I would say there are opportunities. I think we can eke out a positive return this year. But my point is you can't really position for a strong cyclical recovery at this stage in the cycle. I and, really struggle and, and, to see that And happening. given that where we're at, and it's great to hear that you're eking out a positive return, do you think being relatively tactical, relatively nimble this year perhaps is going to be more important at this stage than as the team I think it's willing to do that? It's more. It's an environment where if you make some profit, you bank it. Right. Yes. That would be my mentality. Right. And again looking for yield. Um, so that becomes more important part of return. So yes, it's that's the way that I would characterise it. And so um again with if if the dollar 
as you said a moment ago, continues to be kind of, given what I quoted Jay Powell as saying, the lid is on the dollar, um, therefore a little bit more oxygen for emerging market yeah. debt, for example. But if anything, if there was more weakness there, you might be inclined to add. Yes, we've already got quite a bit of emerging market risk. Um, so, you know, if we get further dollar weakness, I think that that'll be good for our portfolios. But yeah, potentially. I think the worst case, I don't see the dollar weakening significantly because it's still positive carry versus the euro and the yen. Um, so it's a fairly nuanced view on the dollar. Well, in 2017... Well, let's be clear, right, you know, rates are still going to go up a little bit. Yes. So basically, 2017, we were bearish dollar, and we saw that as a risk-on environment because, crucially, the rest of the world was still in recovery mode. So that was a benign weak dollar and environment. Global synchronized growth. Yeah, I struggle to see right now, based on the data, an environment where the rest of the world accelerates to such an extent that you get a weak dollar against a backdrop of recovering growth. I think a weaker dollar... Even, will, even if you get that marginal tightening out of the ECB that Draghi threatens. Possibly, but I'm generally very negative on European growth. Right. So, And I think that... Um, so so really, yes, I mean, to you get weaker dollars because US data is weak, I don't think that's a very... That there's a point where that becomes a less bullish scenario. Mm, I'm not sure. And then, sorry, this is very micro, but given that it's a um, so topical right now, sterling... Well, obviously, anything I say today will be out of date within 24 hours. Um, For those of you who actually, if this was a video call, I should draw to everyone's attention that as I mentioned the word sterling, Johanna gave the most wonderful sigh. Yes. At the margin, um, we do have some small sterling positions, positive. For the first time in a long time, we have added a a minute amount of sterling because I think the probability no deal is, 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 is collapsing. And that was the worst deal for... That was the worst outcome for, for Sterling. But, you know, this is marginal because ultimately I think obviously we risk a general election, which brings a different set of risks, you know, associated with, with Corbyn being in government. So, yeah, I think the key thing is no deal. That, I think, really is becoming a very, very distant probability now. Um, and really what we're going to have to start pricing is the likelihood of a general election. Yes, which will then put a different pressure on the currency. Um Good. Well, we're actually um, uh, out of time. Let me let me just quickly summarise um, so everyone has clear takeaways. Um, first of all, uh, we are late cycle, um, and the core scenario is that growth is rolling over, uh, with particular concern expressed about Europe, um, but that extends also to the states, and that's corroborated by what Keith is saying, both in terms of U.S. rates and the trajectory for U.S. earnings. That's causing the team, notwithstanding, to be, uh, notwithstanding um, the kind of on the surface uh, improved valuations, to be circumspect at this point about adding risk um, and being therefore more tactical about what opportunities provide value at this late stage. And examples of that would be well, given the sell off going back into selectively emerging markets, um, both debt and equity. Um, uh, exploiting the weakness that we've seen recently uh, in high yield uh, and trades largely out of Europe, given what you just said, um, into uh, U.S. Uh, small cap as another illustration of that. But overall, this is an environment where, yes, we think we can make returns, um, but there's going to be a premium on banking profit where we make it uh, and then reapplying that profit tactically according to whatever short-term distortions market sentiment has created at that particular moment. With that, um, Johanna, thank you very much indeed. Great to have you on the call again. Uh, very clear. And 
Thank you very much, everyone, for listening, and uh, have a great week. Thank you. And this now concludes the conference call. Thank you all for attending. You may now disconnect your lines.